Hi there, and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for BTN.com, and we've got another football-focused edition of this podcast. Ready to go, coming at you as we get set for week four of the college football season in 2017. And for those who aren't familiar, for these football-focused episodes, I get BTN.com senior writer Tom Deanhart on the phone, because he's the man, and, and no one knows the Big Ten better than Tom. And he and I welcome in a national college football analyst each week to give their perspective and get an outlook from somebody who isn't immersed solely in Big Ten football like Tom and I are. And this week we are fortunate to welcome in one of the best Fox College football analysts. He's a Sports Illustrated writer and a best-selling author as well. We welcomed in Bruce Feldman to the show. Bruce obviously knows his stuff, and he, he dropped some serious knowledge in what was an hour-long and incredibly insightful conversation. And Bruce will be at the Purdue Michigan game this weekend, which will be on at 4 Eastern on Fox, and should be certainly an interesting game, especially with the start Purdue has gotten off to under Jeff Brom, and Michigan coming into ross Stadium as a top-10 team. So we go in-depth on that matchup. We talk the upcoming Penn State and Iowa game which is another top 10 team, top 5 team actually, going on the road to what should be a tough environment at Kinnick Stadium. We break down Wisconsin, Ohio State, uh, the Michigan State-Notre Dame game, which should be fun this weekend, and the still-developing situation at Nebraska as they're reeling from a home loss to Northern Illinois and a 1-2 and start in Mike Riley's third season. Plus some other added fun will be thrown in as well, including fan questions from social media which is a first for this podcast which we hope to continue to do going forward so before we get to it here's my weekly plug to subscribe to the podcast rate and review it on your online listening platform whether that's on itunes google play podbean that way you can stay updated on everything we're putting out going forward and can catch up on anything you missed so with that out of the way let's get to the take 10 podcast conversation with fox and sports illustrated college football expert Bruce Feldman. I'm very pleased to be joined as always by btn.com senior writer Tom Deanhart calling in from his home near St. Louis and I know I speak for Tom when I say we're both very excited to welcome in a special guest for our national perspective this week. He's a Fox college football analyst and college football writer for Sports Illustrated it's Bruce Feldman calling in from Southern California, and you can follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. How's it going this morning? My, it's good. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like I said, it's great to have you. And we will have plenty to talk about following this past weekend's action and a, a tantalizing week four awaiting us. And we'll start this episode as we we always do with some initial impressions from the past weekend. Just a quick synopsis of what we saw, and we'll start with Tom and get some of his takes from what he saw out of the Big Ten this weekend, and uh, I don't know how many games you actually got the chance to watch live, Tom, since you, you made that drive down to Mizzou to see that Purdue beatdown uh, in person in, in Como, but I, I know you were on top of everything that went on in the conference regardless, so we'll get Bruce's impressions on a, uh, on a wider scale in a moment, but Tom, you go first. What are some initial impressions you had of, uh, of week three? You know, Penn State continues to roll on, guys. I think they've been the most impressive Big Ten team out of the gates this year. I understand, and it's been pointed out to me about a million times by people on Twitter, that, yes, Penn State hasn't played very many good teams, or any good teams for that matter. But still, you know, James Franklin's squad has has taken care of business and has done what it's supposed to do, again, in an awfully dominating fashion. And I'm intrigued by the way they're using Saquon Barkley, guys. Not getting a lot of carries, but they're throwing the ball to him a lot, sort of almost using him as an all-purpose back. So Penn State continues to impress. Ohio State gets back on track against an overmatched Army team. I know Bruce was at that game. And then, of course, uh, you know, Purdue and Minnesota continue to be kind of early season surprises as well, guys. So those are a few uh, Big Ten that I think has really caught my eye. And, of course, we'll get to it later, but the, the, the struggles of Nebraska and Lincoln, you know, one and two. Uh, for the second time in three years on the Mike Riley guys. So, again, um, it's going to be interesting to watch how things develop and unfold in Nebraska. Yeah, um, honestly, I wasn't surprised Purdue won because that, that Mizzou program is uh, in bad shape right now, but I definitely didn't see a 35-3 to blowout coming. Uh, what, what Jeff Brom is doing 
as uh, the media, national media is kind of recognizing now, as well as the Big Ten media, it's really refreshing. And, um, you know, it's just for me personally, it's confirmation that the Big Ten is really upgrading its coaching nearly across the board. And uh, we see it at Minnesota as well. Uh, despite their schedule not really being all that daunting so far, they've looked good at 3-0 and under P.J. Fleck. So, Bruce, how about you? What are some things that stood out to you this past weekend? Uh, we'll open it up to a national scope. I'd love to hear your initial impressions of week three. Yeah, from the national perspective, just the we had a great game in the Coliseum with a rematch of USC and Texas. I thought you know, Sam Ellinger really looked uh, – he looked, he looked like he gave them some fight, and Texas had been lacking that. And on defense, I thought – they stepped up, and, and you, had a, you just had a real entertaining college game. I mean, the game that was opposite, and I thought Clemson's defense, I've been really impressed by Clemson, especially the last two weeks. What Brent Venables has done there, their defense has been awesome. First 11 sacks against Auburn, really shut down Gus Malzahn's offense, and then Lamar Jackson, you know, the hype was building up again, and they just completely blew Louisville off the field at home. I thought that was a a really strong statement. Um, for me on the Big Ten, obviously, as Tom said, I was uh, our crew did the Ohio State game. You know, Army is, this is the best team Army has had in, a, in about a decade. So they've, and maybe even more than that, probably 20 years. And I think that they play good defense, are very sound, and I thought just, you know, did J.T. Barrett solve all the problems that, that a lot of fans and folks had concerns in the wake of losing to, uh, to Oklahoma, I don't think so. I mean, there were some definitely some downfield throws he missed, and they seemed out of sync. But I did think that uh, they looked like Kevin Wilson as a play caller. They they did a little more to get get everyone into a rhythm, you know, with some of the RPO stuff and throws to the perimeter. I think in terms of the defensive side of the ball, the concerns that that people had with Baker Mayfield just carving them up the week before. You know, Greg Shiano told us the day before, it's like, you know, you want to address that stuff, but it's basically like because of all the problems that the triple option offense poses, you really have to hit pause for the week. And so we'll, we'll find out more, you know, probably in the next, you know, maybe not in the next couple of weeks, but, you know, down the road, how much they progress because they're still pretty inexperienced in the secondary. We, as you guys mentioned, I mean, our, our crew this week has Purdue uh, hosting Michigan. I'm so excited about that matchup just because of, you know, what Chuck Brom has been able to do there. I mean, I loved that hire when it was made, and it's, you know, it's paying dividends right off the bat, and I think that has been his biggest story as anything, um, you know, in the Big Ten, just if there's a resurgence at Purdue, he's got David Blau playing the best he's ever played, and the defense has been Formula one That was a really good running back, Mario Crockett, that they shut down last week on the road. I mean, that's a big-time SEC running back, and to do what they did, I think that that's impressive what Nick Holt's defense has done. Yeah, and going into the, this uh, past weekend, the Mizzou-Purdue game was the one I was looking forward to most just to see how Purdue would, would fare on the road. Other than that, the schedule didn't really really sparkle for the Big Ten. Um, across the board, uh, across the nation, I think there was a good amount of drama. Uh, Michigan in a close game with uh, with Air Force and Nebraska going down to, to NIU. That was certainly, I don't think, expected uh, by many people. But but like you mentioned, Bruce, I thought there were some, some fun games and, and uh, fun moments with the Tennessee. Florida Hail Mary was, was insane. The Like you said, the USC-Texas game going late into the night and, and uh, in overtime. That game was everything we could have wanted. And, Bruce, like you said, you'll be at the Michigan-Purdue game it's the one I'm most excited for heading into into week four, and we'll definitely get into that one in depth a bit later. Uh, first, though, I want to focus on on Michigan a little bit more in relation to another three and big te- Big Ten team, and that's Wisconsin. Bruce, I'm curious from a national perspective, what do you make of teams like Wisconsin and Michigan? They're both three and Michigan's defense and special teams have been stellar. Uh, their offense has been less than stellar. Wisconsin's shown some punch on both sides of the ball. They just smoked BYU in, in uh Provo, and you have Michigan ranked number seven and Wisconsin ranked number ten in your weekly top ten. So obviously these are solid teams in your eyes, but but coming out of the non-conference, do you think these are teams that will be there in the discussion toward the end of the season when we can start talking serious college football playoff contenders? I think so. I mean, you know, both teams play really good defense. You know, I think that Michigan has had the tougher road at this point. You know, Florida, even with the suspensions. Still has a lot of big time athletes on defense, and I thought what you saw from you know in that game was 
because Michigan, you know, just just showed, yeah, lots of new starters, but Don Brown knows exactly what he's doing, and they recruited really well, especially on the D-line. And they whipped the Florida offensive line that's, that's got a lot of talent. Uh, you know, and Air Force is a really good team, and I think that it's no, you know, it's no shame in struggling with them for a little bit. Now, I think that there are some concerns to be, hey, what's going on with the offense? Obviously, they've had struggles in the red zone. I think they feel like the staff has been thrown out a ton everywhere as, you know, one for ten in the red zone. I think that's second worst in the country. they got to get sharper. I think a little of that's expected with so much turnover, especially with, you know, young receivers and getting on the same page. But I feel like the way they are on defense, they're going to be in every game, and they still have talent on offense. It's just, let's see what happens. You know, Tariq Black being... Uh, you know, with their leading receiver, and now he's going to be out for a while with his, with his foot injury. We'll see how, who steps up. I mean, they, they have talent. There's just a lot of young guys. As far as Wisconsin, um, you know, I still think we don't know a ton about them. I mean, Alex Hornibrook is playing really, really well. And you see all the – it's nearly flawless on the road at BYU. And this is a really down BYU team. And I think when you look at it after that, you know, we got Northwestern in a week – and they're struggling at Nebraska. They're really struggling. I mean, the schedule, the way it sets up now, because those are teams that I think, at least I thought they would be look better than they have. You look at the rest of that schedule. Yeah, Purdue is is you know playing well in Maryland, but I mean, they're looking at, at like maybe they play one ranked team, you know, the whole way. So the you know assuming they get to the to the Big Ten title game, and that's not a lot. So, um, you know, I think that it's a curious team. I think people respect Wisconsin, especially after what they did against a really tough schedule last year. I feel like their brand nationally has gotten that. I think Coach Chris, people people acknowledge how good of a coach he is. But I think there's going to be a, a maybe a little bit like the Iowa team a few years ago where there's going to be some people who are going to be a little skeptical about them. I, hope that, I just think that that maybe happens when you're in that side of the conference. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think since, you know, really since the schedule came out and since we saw Wisconsin uh, to be a pretty strong team, you know, in camp and, and leading up and, and with the talent they have on both sides of the ball, I think it's the assumption has been that if Wisconsin can take care of business that they will march to Indy for the uh, Big Ten title game. But I agree that the skepticism could be there, just like Iowa. They didn't really – the schedule set up so nicely for them – uh, and so favorably that that the the doubt might creep in about the uh, the competition they're playing. Uh, I want to talk a little more Ohio State. Um, I know we got into to their game with Army, but we did not mention uh, JT Barrett set the all time touchdown record, he broke Drew Brees' record of 106 total touchdowns this past week. Tom, I know JT. We all know JT has taken a share of heat from uh, you know Ohio State fans, misguided or not, especially after struggling against Clemson and against Oklahoma, but can you just put this accomplishment in perspective? Uh, passing Drew Brees for most touchdowns all time, like I said, with, with number 107 this past weekend. Can you put JT Barrett in perspective, I guess, amongst his uh, Big Ten peers and throughout history? Yeah, I mean, passing a guy like Brees, you know, says a lot right there. And, and it took, I guess it took Barrett fewer games than Brees to reach this record for most touchdowns responsible for. So, yeah, you know, we first go back to 2014. That's when we really got a glimpse of what JT Burt was all like. Remember what he looked like that year, you know, leading Ohio State down the stretch until he got hurt and to get away to Cardale Jones. But again, um, just just a great dual threat quarterback, one of the best in in Big Ten annals, and we saw that play out with again in this touchdown record. Um, I know he's had his struggles this year, but again, um, you know, Burt's going to leave as an all-time great and. By the time he's all said and done this year, that record could really be far out of reach and hard to break for by anybody else in, in, in the future. Yeah, I can't see anyone really breaking it, just sticking around as long as Barrett has and starting nearly every game. I mean, it's, it's going to be tough for that record to ever be touched. Uh, Bruce, we asked the Associated Press's Ralph Russo about this on the show last week, and he and Tom were kind of in agreement that Ohio State, that pretty much JT Barrett is who he is, and he has his limitations, and Ohio State needs to put him in a better position to succeed within that offense and not ask him to do things he's just not capable of as a passer. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Uh, if you think that Ohio State and their offense can find their footing 
in JT Barrett's final season here. And do you think, expanding on that, if they get rolling a little bit, do you think they can work their way back into that college football playoff conversation? I do think so. I mean, look, there's, we mentioned some of the other teams that are in the conference that, that they could see on the schedule that would give them, you know, added, you know, credibility in the, in the playoff committee's eyes. You know, that's a fierce defensive front they have. They have a lot of speed. I think that that secondary is still pretty young and inexperienced because they had so many good players to replace really the last two years. So I think that's something that'll be, uh, you know, kind of a work in progress. And Urban Meyer has shown not just at, at Ohio State three years ago, but also at Florida early on in his tenure that that he knows how to respond to to defeat early in the season and and build on it. And I think that that's there. Now the big question I talked to some some coaches around college football about this is if they can't develop and become that much more efficient downfield passing, you know, eventually. I think they can. I think they probably can get to the playoff. I'm not sure if they can do. You know, if they can win in the playoff, if they cannot really get markedly better uh, in the in the downfield passing game. I think at some point you got to take advantage of people, and they're gonna, you know, they're not gonna be Army where they're gonna have you know that many better athletes in the front seven to match up with you in the run game. I mean, J.K. Dobbins is a, is a really impressive back to watch in person. I mean, as good as he looks on TV, looks even better in person. And they'll get Mike Weber back from the hamstring. You know, he'll get, I assume he'll heal up, you know, as the season kind of progresses. But just, and JT's really good in the run game. He's, he's, he's good. Uh, you know, he's obviously a great leader. But I think that, you know, he needs help from those receivers, too. They need a go-to guy to emerge. I mean, that's the thing is, they have some talented speed guys, but it just seems like, they're all trying to figure it out. And keep in mind, like this is the third system that, that these guys, not only JT has played in, for a lot of these guys that they've been there that long, it's really the third different system they've had in three years. Yeah, and I don't think that microscope is going to get, you know, it, the pressure's not going to lighten throughout the season. It, it's it's gonna, The microscope's going to be focused on him and, and Kevin Wilson uh, as we move along, and, and, you know, they can't afford to lose another game, so... Obviously, uh, pressure's on, on JT and, and that offense. We think the defense will, will hold up and, and keep their end of the deal. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, we're going to move on to a segment we do here weekly called uh, Sliding and Soaring Stock to get a look at who's on the come up and, and whose wheels are kind of falling off a little bit. We'll start with you, Tom. Give me one Big Ten team stock that is uh, soaring right now and, and one who is sliding. Well, I guess you go a, a few different ways, and uh, we talked about Purdue a little bit. We talked about Michigan. Uh, I tell you what, I and Penn State too, which is what I led with. I love the Nittany Lions, but I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I know uh, you discussed the Badgers a little bit earlier. A dominating win in Provo again, like Bruce said, it's not a vintage BYU team, but still they went out there, and it was just a one-sided affair. So. Uh, Again, I love this Badger team. Even with the losses at linebacker they suffered in the draft and, and, and with the injuries early in the year, I still love the defense. It may be the best secondary in the Big Ten. I'm sure Bruce will get a load of Nick Nelson at some point to transfer from Hawaii back. They may be the best cornerback in the Big Ten. And then offensively, guys, this offensive line had really not been up to Badger standards in recent years. Well, this is a vintage Wisconsin front. Add in Troy Fumagalli, one of the best tight ends. Some underrated, underrated wide receivers led by Jazz Pete. And then you want to talk about freshman running back, Bruce. You talked about Dobbins. How about Jonathan Taylor? He, he's the freshman who leads the Big Ten in rushing. So, again, um, throw in this schedule, guys, and the Badgers could easily be unbeaten here. And maybe we get a rematch, which I think would be great, a rematch of Wisconsin versus Penn State in the Big Ten title game. And how about sliding, Tom? I think you know, I know who you're going to say, but uh, you have to say it. Who's your stock is sliding in the Big Ten? <laughs> You know, Nebraska, that's a no-brainer. Again, one and two for the second time in three years under Mike Riley. Guys, if they lose to Rutgers, God forbid, this weekend, Nebraska will be one and and three for the first time since 1957. That's a place nobody wants to go if you're in Lincoln right now. So, uh, you know, questions abound, fellas. The first game and a half of defense was a big issue. Got gassed by Arkansas State. Gave up, what, 42 points in the first half at Oregon. Then they finally get the defense buttoned up. And then the wheels come off the offense. Tanner Lee, guys, seven interceptions that leads the country. 
The coin transfer is really struggling. They lost Trey Bryant's injury at Oregon. The offensive line can't block. On and on it goes. And uh, suddenly Mike Riley and the AD, Sean Eichhorst, find themselves sort of in the crosshairs at this point, facing, I never thought I'd say this, <laughs> facing, facing a must-win game versus Rutgers in late September. So that, that's where Nebraska finds itself right now. You know, just, just in year three under Mike Riley. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to believe. Uh, Bruce, how about you? Once again, we'll open it up to the national scale, but feel free to pick a Big Ten team if you want. Just give me one team whose stock is soaring and, and one who's sliding. Uh, for me, since uh, you know, I think we've talked a lot about Purdue, I will say the team that's stock is soaring right now is Mississippi State. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, I think, last week against a talented but really young LSU defense, I think he flashed onto the Heisman radar. I mean, they, they whipped LSU. 37 to 7. Their defense, uh, they, defense looked really nasty. Now, look, this has been some of the same issues with, with LSU on offense. It looked much like the before Matt Canada showed up. And so that was definitely going to be concerns. But I thought, huge, huge night for Dan Mullen and his program. Now they have to follow up and go, go beat Georgia. What's interesting there is, uh, Nick Fitzgerald to Georgia kids. Georgia didn't offer him, and I'm sure Mississippi State fans and Dan Moore are thrilled about that. So to me, that's my that would that would be my team on the rise. Uh, you know, look, Nebraska to me would be. I, I'm surprised. I'm almost stunned at how bad they've been. You know, we had their game two weeks ago where they fall. You know, in a hole 42 to 14, and they rally. And make it, you know, make it a pretty entertaining game at the end and on the road against Oregon. But then, just I watched the beginning of their game, and it just looks like Tanner Lee, his confidence is shot. And I don't know how, you know, uh, the staff works to get that back and to build on it. But I think if there's one team you could do that against in the Big Ten, this is probably the one to get in Rutgers. So uh, I'm curious to see. This game has become way more interesting for that reason alone. And, you know, I think Mike Riley is as good a guy as there is as a head coach in the country. Uh, but it's a really, really thorny situation there now with the AD's comments that he made at the end of that. And I think patience is definitely where I'm then. Yeah, and it really makes you wonder where Nebraska goes from here because they never lost to a MAC team until till NIU went to Memorial Stadium and kind of pulled the rug out last weekend. You guys both mentioned the AD came out and made a statement that he's angry, frustrated, and at the same time stresses that they, uh, assuming they means the fans and and the coaches and the staff, have to stick together, uh, play Rutgers and Illinois in their next two games. And those are two teams I think they definitely have more talent than. But, but I mean, who knows at this point? Because they're certainly more talented than, than NIU as well. So, so Tom... How ugly do you think this could potentially get in get in uh, in Lincoln? How, how was that again? How, how how could it get? How ugly could it get in Lincoln? Do you think if things really go well, south yeah, here? I mean, yeah, again, well, it, it could be. I think you know that there's all types of speculation and conjecture as we talk. I mean, um, you never want to put a number of wins on the board and say you have to achieve this, but given the fact that this is year three under Mike Riley, um, I think more was expected. I will say this, you know, going back to the summer, I, I was the only guy who said it, but it almost seems like it's year one for Mike Riley because of the change on defense, bringing in Bob Diaco as the new coordinator. Diaco scraps the 4-3, puts in a 3-4. You know, that, that's going to take a while to adapt to. And then offensively, without Tommy Armstrong, that offense was going to have a whole different look. The quarterback run game is basically gone now, which would come to define the program for, for a long time. Now the offense looks a lot more like what Mike Riley wants and what he had at Oregon State. But, again, that's an adjustment. So, again, both sides of the ball, radical change. Um, but for me, I guess the, the, the biggest disappointment has been the offensive line. Um, and, and Michigan, too, guys. Um, it just dumbfounds me that programs like Michigan and Nebraska have struggled so mightily to become dominant on the offensive line. But, again, I think that's the case. And, and then that's a big issue for Nebraska right now. And, again, Bruce talked about Michigan. But, again, that offensive line to me, I just don't think it's upper level. And at some point I'd love to get Bruce's opinion on Wilton Spate, on if you really think Wilton Spate's a championship caliber quarterback. 
Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Bruce. Expand on that. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got NFL size. When you talk to people inside that program, I said, what's the the best thing about him? They're like, well, he throws a really good deep ball. But, you know, again, now he is working with all new receivers, and he had a really good one last year. I mean, two terrific big physical targets and a great tight end and so reliable plus an experienced O-line. So now all of a sudden, you know, it's switched. He's got a, really a new guy. Now he's working with him, Pep Hamilton, and Chad Fish is off to, you know, down at UCLA now. So that's a lot of adjustment. And I think people would have expected, well, if he's not a first-year starter, he would have been sharper, and, you know, out of the gate. Uh, a little bit like J.T. Barrett. I do think, you know, maybe in our, you know, us in the media, certainly as fans, I think sometimes we forget some of those things about, okay, he is now, he, there's a lot of stuff that they're transitioning to. And, you know, he has struggled with it. So, you know, I, I think the next, you know, the next three games I think are going to be telling. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Michigan's had a lot of big you know, like almost tight end sized quarterbacks who made it and, you know, stuck around the NFL for a little while. You know, whether it's a Todd Collins or, or somebody like that. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't surprise me if Wilton Spate could could be that. But obviously he's gotta he's gotta get, you know, more consistent with what he's doing. And you just look I, I think in uh, some of the analytics stuff we had last week, his numbers we're, we're just really bad going even into into the game last week in terms of what he's done uh, downfield, what he's done against the Blitz. Um, so we'll see. I mean, look, he's he's in a in a great system to develop for that, but you know he's just got to be sharper. And I think he knows that. And I think the guys who you know who he's playing with got to be sharper, and they got to step up. Yeah, I think if there's one yeah, team, yeah, yeah. go ahead, Tom. No, I'm not going to say to me, guys, not to keep belaboring Michigan, but they really, that quarterback spot has been a big issue for that program for almost a decade. Brady Hope never got a quarterback. I'm not counting Denard Robinson as a quarterback. I think he has to go back to Chad Henney. Correct me if you guys think I'm wrong. They really haven't had a legit big-time quarterback since Chad Henney. Again, and that's going back a while. And again, that's surprising that Michigan's not well, going to know. I, I, I think you some of that, though, you – you put that, you know, you mentioned Denard. He was obviously a fantastic college player, really exciting. But that was fitting Rich Rod's offense. So I think for that, whatever, maybe it's the five years. Because I remember, you know, I don't know how good a quarterback Stephen Fleet would have been if, you know, if Jim Harbaugh had taken over at that time instead of Rich Rod. But obviously he wasn't an ideal fit for Rich Rod. And then he comes in there and he gets Tate Forcier, who looks great for a month, and then that didn't work out, and then Denard gets rolling. But I think after that, then he comes in, and you had Devin Gardner, who, you know, was kind of a, felt like a stopgap. So I, I do think it's, it's, it's interesting to see how that system kind of, kind of blotted out a, a pretty big block of time for, for Michigan in terms of what they're working with. And, and you know, I think the first class they took uh, Gentry, who was a big, you know, Texas. I think it was Texas. He was going to do really like them. Yeah. And now he's playing tight end and. And some of the other guys, I mean, Alex Malzone was a, you know, was a really good baseball player who was an elite 11 guy who, you know, hasn't played. And, and we'll see, you know, maybe Dylan McCaffrey will be that guy. But you're right. I mean, because basically they went with grad transfer guys in there to throw into the mix. And it's been, you know, it's been a little bit, a little bit messy. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. think if there's an offensive theme across the Big Ten, it's question marks at, at quarterback and – um I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out. I'm going to shift gears a little bit from players who are who are question marks to established uh, established players and even Heisman Trophy caliber players. Bruce, you do your uh, weekly Heisman Five rankings for Sports Illustrated, and this week you had one Big Ten player in that top five. That's Penn State running back Saquon Barkley. He came in at number three behind a pair of quarterbacks, Mason Rudolph, Oklahoma State, and Baker Mayfield of Oklahoma. So just a couple questions for you in regard to those rankings, Bruce. Um, what's the scenario that you can see a guy like Barkley jumping not just those two quarterbacks, but actually winning a Heisman Trophy in a year that has so many talented quarterbacks, lighting it up coast-to-coast coast, uh, week after week? You know, I think he's going to have two huge games in the you know in late October, back-to-back, post-Michigan and at Ohio State. If they win those games and Saquon Barkley does does what he's been doing, which is, you know, the 125-plus yards and 50-plus yards, 
as a receiver, there's an, you know, there's enough wow factor going in where he's on a different level from other running backs in terms of just the, the credibility he has. Because after that, I don't, you know, we'll see what, you know, what where Michigan State's going to be. I mean, if they win this week, Michigan, I guess, Notre Dame, Michigan State's going to be a top 25 team. And, and, you know, it's not like people have forgotten about them. But I think he's going to put up big numbers. And that's, a, that's to me, that's the most entertaining offense in the country of what, what Joe Moorhead and James Franklin are doing there at Penn State. I think he's going to, I think he'll get to New York. You know, is it his Heisman to lose if, if Penn State goes to the playoff? It could be. I mean, look, there's going to be a lot of people going to vote for him. And then here's a factor that I think could come into effect. Two of the best quarterbacks, other quarterbacks, are in the same state, you know, between Baker Mayfield and Mason Rudolph. I think Mason Rudolph, have, you know, we've, we've done both of their games this year. And Rudolph's going to put up ridiculous numbers because he has the best receiving core in the country. And they're playing against some suspect defenses in that conference anyway. But I could see those two guys not canceling each other out, but kind of splitting some of the vote if they keep going on. Whereas I don't know who is going to challenge Saquon Barkley if he keeps if he and Penn State keep rolling in that Midwest. There's not a Notre Dame guy going to get a ton of hype, and there, to me, there's nobody else in the Big Ten who's going to make a ton of noise. I and mean, we can talk about Wisconsin's great young know, running back, but I just unless something dramatic changes, I think Saquon Barkley is that guy. Yeah, and Penn State hasn't really played anyone close to their talent level, but uh, I mean, we saw Saquon Barkley's versatility on full display once again, like we mentioned this past weekend against Georgia State. He only had 47 yards rushing, but had four receptions for 142 yards, two touchdowns, giving him uh, five so far through three games. And, and when he broke off that long reception for a touchdown that, that made up a big chunk of those 142 yards, that was one of those plays that was – you know, that was man amongst boys type speed. It was like, it honestly reminded me of uh, of Reggie Bush, watching Reggie Bush, where it looked like Barkley was running on regular turf and, and the defenders were just kind of running in, in quicksand. It was just a really impressive display. And, and so I, I agree, I think he'll be in the conversation and uh, will be in New York City as, as one of the five. But yeah, Bruce, I agree. I don't think that anyone else in the Big Ten has, has really stood out. Is there anyone that you think could could get in that conversation, maybe Trace McSorley, or is, is Barkley really looking like he's going to be the only potential Big Ten representative? I mean, for me, I think, you know, Trace is a really good quarterback, but I think Saquon is the star that, you know, Trace could throw for 400 yards in both of those games. I still think for a lot of the voters in the Heisman, he's that guy, and it's just, you know, I think that's great for Penn State if that, if that happens, because then all of a sudden... You know, if Trace McSorley is, is getting some people's Heisman attention, that means Penn State's going to the playoff. But I think realistically, Barkley is, is really the only guy, I think, who, who could uh, who can overtake some of these quarterbacks. Yeah, it's an interesting point hey, you I, made. I, 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 I guess I think Megan McSorley's the best guy on that team, most indispensable. Um, I, I know Barkley's a special back. Um so they, they, they've got some other pretty good backs behind. Yeah, in fact, they lost Trace McSorley. I mean, Tommy Stevens is a nice backup. But, again, I, 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 I kind of wonder how they're using Saquon Barkley right now, too, guys. Um, why not let him rack up some 200-yard games earlier in the year? Um, I get the all-purpose thing, but to me, nothing grabs attention. Like when you see a guy have 35 carries for 250 yards, as opposed to seeing somebody with 160 all-purpose yards. Um, so, again, I've been kind of curious like how they've used Barkley so far. I agree he's the best guy in the Big Ten. Nobody can really get him. Um, <clears throat> but, Bruce, um, is there any threat in the southeast? The Clemson quarterback, Kelly Bryan, or, or Alabama quarterback, Jalen Hurst, are any of those guys legit contenders? I'm not. I think they're, they're contenders. I would put, you know, at least at this point, I would throw Nick Fitzgerald in there after last weekend. Um you know, with Darius Geis now after that performance, Darius Geis was, you know, the, was the 1B running back to Barkley. I guess now Royce Freeman probably slides into that from Oregon. But mm. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little skeptical right now. I mean, I think it, it, Jalen Hurts is going to have to get, you know, way better as a passer in, in there. I think to get more than when people in SEC country to on board. You know, I think it also is a little... It's going to be hard, I think, for some people who are outside of SEC country to look and say, okay, Jalen Hurts has done this, 
I think a lot of people have now gotten to the point, maybe not in the deep south, but a lot of people have now gotten to the point going, okay, the SEC is not the runaway best conference. Yeah, Alabama's great and all, but we don't think, you know, teams two through whatever are all that good. So now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, who is he really playing against? I mean, it's not mm-hmm. that they play against, like, Sunbelt schools all the time. I'm just saying it's like that wow factor, I think, is is an aura of invincibility is diminished a little bit. And I think when you're going to put that up against Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold or whatever mm-hmm. quarterback, I just don't think it's gonna it's gonna pop the same way it might have going in. Now he could he could get to New York if they keep rolling through the SEC, but I I think that just nationally I don't think the the voters of the Heisman are going to jump the way they might have jumped before at the SEC. Yeah, the good news is it's still early, so we'll have uh, plenty of time to break it down going forward. Uh, I'm going to move on here. We're going to get to a, a new segment that we haven't done yet on this weekly football podcast. Uh, we'll take fan questions and, and answer them on uh, taking the questions from Twitter and having our guests uh, answer them as best they can. The first one is from at RU Nation Elite, so that's a, that's a Rutgers fan, I'm assuming. And that question is, of the freshman quarterbacks in the Big Ten, Bruce, who do you see with the highest ceiling um, and who could make a quick impact for this program? You know, I I remember we were at the conference meetings in Arizona in May, and I talked to Chris Ash for a while, and, and, you know, just listening to him, it sounded like Jonathan Lewis was exactly what that program has has been missing, which was you know, kind of a homegrown guy that can develop as opposed to plugging in all these, you know, transfers come in and out. And he's a big physical guy. Um, you know, there's there's at least some reason for optimism there with a young quarterback that you can, you know, build your offense around. Uh, to me, that was one that was kind of an attention getter. But obviously, what what's going on with Maryland and Kasim Hill, you know, he came in with a big reputation, I thought, uh, Walt Bell, the offense coordinator, when he got hurt at Texas, not home game either. Um, I thought they did a really good job with him, and they didn't seem like they missed a beat. And I thought that was impressive. And I'm curious to see what happens with them against the good, fast UCF team this weekend. You know, I think that at this point, I think there's more, you know, I, he has done more because of the competition. I mean, this wasn't Forget State he was playing. So, you know, I'm very interested to see what Kasim Hill can do in a, in a system that's pretty good, I think is a really good fit for him, but also on a team that has a chance to be kind of a sleeper. Because when you look at that schedule, you're like, okay, where are they going to get six wins here? And now all of a sudden you see kind of the, the, the athleticism they have and some of the big play, you know, capabilities in the run game. You're like, hey, you know what? This is a fun team to watch, and I want to see what, what, what Hill can do for them. Yeah, Terps have been exciting. Um, one more question from the fans we got for, for Bruce Feldman from the Twitter machine was from at BJ Scribbles, which is a fantastic Twitter name, by the way, so shout out to him. Uh, it says, is high-stepping unsportsmanlike? This is obviously in reference to the Iowa touchdown that was called back uh, by Akram Wadley this past weekend. He goes on to say, I mean, is it really unsportsmanlike? And he concludes by asking, uh, how do I go about getting a ref banned? So, Bruce, you don't have to answer that second part about the ref, but I am curious to get your thoughts on this subject because I, I have some thoughts on it as well. And, and like I mentioned, for those who didn't see this past weekend, Akram Wadley got a long touchdown run called back for taking really one and a half, maybe two high steps before uh, breaking the plane of the end zone. And it, it did not end up costing Iowa a win. The Hawkeyes won 31-14 to move to 3-0, but... Bruce, I need your thoughts on this rule that it not only penalizes but but takes away points from teams for uh, for perceived showboating. Yeah, I hate that rule, and I I, I hated this call, this, them flagging them. I mean, look, it's a it's a sport, it's a game. You know, they're college kids. Let him show his enthusiasm. Here's the thing: I think you want to make a distinction. If is it taunting the other team? If he turned around and flipped off the other sideline on the way into the end zone, fly, you know, fly him. I get that. But doing that, come on, let him. Like, I mean, like, I'm sorry. I think you know, if if that's in the if that's the spirit of the rule, then they got to change the rule. I mean, do you want robots playing the game? I mean, like, the ref should apologize to that kid. I mean, it's just like, come on. It's like, that's just taking it too much. 
you know, I mean, and if anybody on the other team was offended by that, um, they were way too sensitive of, of the society on that on that front. I mean, just like I said, it's an emotional game. Let them have some emotion. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't he wasn't showboating or he wasn't taunting anybody else. Is I guess my my takeaway from that. Tom, are you in agreement there? Yeah, again, uh, exactly right. You wonder if that would have cost Iowa the game, what, what the fervor would have been. And I'd, be, I'd love to know, the, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz picked up the phone on Sunday. He made any calls to the officials in the conference just to discuss it as well. Uh, sure, it was a hot topic conversation among all coaches across the nation, a teaching point. But like, like Bruce said, uh, and you too, Alex, I mean, it looks like they really overstepped the boundaries. Uh, with, with unfortunately this rule like they did uh, in that ball game with Iowa. So, again, that was uh, that was sort of disheartening to see, and I guess for Iowa, you're happy and, you know, it didn't end up costing the game. Yeah, just so we're clear, I'm going to read the official rules here. Um, this, is, this is what was flagged according to the rule book. Quote, any delayed, excessive, prolonged, or choreographed act by which a player or players attempts to focus on himself or themselves, and uh, an unopposed ball carrier obviously altering stride as he approaches the opponent's goal line or diving into the end zone, end quote. I mean, guys, what are we doing here? Why, why are we penalizing something that nearly everybody likes to see, which results in an outcome that, that nobody likes or even really makes sense? Because, honestly, everything about college football like literally revolves around pageantry and, and showing off. Like, who has the most obscene recruiting facilities? Who has the biggest stadiums? Who was the best marching band? That they, they shoot off fireworks at the stadium like it's 4th of July every Saturday. And this rule is worried about players calling attention to themselves. And, and for me, it's one of those rules It's like, all right, or it's not one of those rules where it's like, okay, everybody knows the rule, just don't do it. Like, for one, people get caught up in the game, the adrenaline's pumping, like you mentioned, Bruce, and, and maybe they want to play to the crowd a little bit. And, and two, the punishment is just so disproportionate to the, the quote, yeah. crime. Like, if you can even call it that, you're, you're taking away points in potentially swinging a game. Like, I, I think the final point I'll make on this is that it's, it's just so, like, something we'd expect out of the NFL. Uh, you know, they recently relaxed their celebration rules because even they realized it was silly. And and maybe I'm just, like, in, a, in an echo chamber on Twitter, but at a time when the paradigm, at least from the people I follow, it, it seems to be kind of uh, coming to an agreement. Everyone seems to agree that college football is starting to, to be – you know, if it wasn't already a better product and more exciting than the NFL, when we have all these dog games going on in the NFL that, that uh, you know, nobody really wants to watch. So, so why have this, this rule act as, like, an anchor on everything that makes college football fun? And, and can you imagine, guys, if, if this, like, like you said, Tom, this, uh, like, a, a touchdown gets called back in a critical game that, mm-hmm. that might actually decide, you know, college football playoff or, or you know, season, have, have implications on a season? It's crazy. Crazy. Hey guys, well, real quick, the uh, while that created a lot of headlines, I guess the other Big Ten incident was with Penn State, Georgia State, right? Late in the game, Georgia State's lined up to kick a field goal and try to break the shutout. Iced them. Seconds left in the game, and James Franklin calls timeout to ice the kicker. Of course, the kicker subsequently misses it. Penn State keeps its shutout. Uh, but but Franklin got some blowback from from across the Twitter sphere and, and everywhere else about icing a kicker in that situation to begin with. And his explanation after the game was kind of dubious. He had a four-string kick block team on the field at that point. wasn't sure if they were lined up correctly when it looked like they were lined up fine to me. So again, I love to hear Bruce's thoughts and Alex and your thoughts too on on that, that move by Franklin last Saturday night in, in State College. Yeah, go ahead, Bruce. Yeah. I, you know, just thinking about it, it's like, hey, they're trying to break, they're trying to get some points on the board, and they're trying to preserve their shutout. I mean, I, these coaches are competing and talking about finish all the time. I guess James Franklin is is epitomizing that mantra to the to the nth degree. I mean, I've never been one who was like, got you know, if somebody said, oh, they're running up the score, well, you know what, it's it's on the other team to try and stop them. But I think in this case, I mean, they were trying to. You know, if I was a if I was a Penn State fan, if this is my biggest problem, I feel pretty good about Penn State football right now. And I just think sometimes we get sleep because of social media. I think stuff like this ends up taking on like a life of its own, and people get uh, worked up about so many things or can find stuff to get worked up about. And this is just one I was like. You know what? I just shrugged my shoulder. That there's a lot of there's a lot of other stuff that's more worthy of getting ticked off about than 
than somebody icing a kicker in, a, in you know at the end of the game. Yeah, I guess like you said, when uh you know when the opponents aren't as noteworthy, and when, when there's blowouts, then you're gonna pay more attention to what James Franklin's saying at the presser afterwards than you, you are the actual game. So, so yeah, well, soon enough, I think that this will this will go away and we'll won't be uh, breaking down what Franklin's doing on the sidelines or at the pressers. Uh, let's look ahead now to, to week four because Penn State is one team that has a step up in competition coming up, and we've got some really fun matchups like we mentioned, and, and we'll start off breaking down an out-of-conference matchup for the Big Ten. It's Notre Dame at Michigan State. You rarely see a matchup of teams that went combined 7-17 uh, and 17 the year before draw as much hype as this one will get. But uh, both teams, at the very least, look better than last year. They look improved. And this will be a test for both teams. So, so Bruce, give us the breakdown first of the situation that Notre Dame is currently in under Brian Kelly and who you like in this matchup. You know, uh, it's a tough team to get a read on. He really, you know, turned over his staff. And some guys leave. Other guys forced out. I think his defensive coordinator, they brought in from Wake Forest. Mike Elko's really good, and I think you're, you're starting to see that. Now, Boston College is a dreadful offensive team, and I think that we still don't really know what to make you know, of, of Michigan State. I mean, I, talking to people inside that program, they feel like they you know, have enough grit and talent to be in every game, but I don't know, you know, is this a team that's a legit top 25 team or not? And I think we'll find out. I mean, last week, Notre Dame flexed a pretty uh, – potent running game. They have a really good offensive line, especially the left side of that line. You know, they're going to challenge Michigan State to see if they can kind of, you know, buck up and handle it. And I want to see how Michigan State responds to that. They had a week off. I think that people have, I don't think they've written off Michigan State, but, you know, after last year's dismal season, I think that this is a chance for them to get back on the national radar. And we'll see what Brian Lewerke can do against the defense that's I think it's improved. I just don't know how much improved it is. And obviously Michigan State's run game can be pretty good too. So for me, I think I'm, I don't have a great feel on, on Michigan State at this point. And I think Notre Dame has been so inconsistent. And they played a really good Georgia defense. And, uh, you know, I think their young quarterback, Brandon Winbush, is really talented. I think he's a better thrower than probably some people are giving them credit for. And we'll see if they can open it up and we'll see if they can – they can uh, stretch Michigan State defense out a little bit. Yeah, Tom, how about you? Uh, is Michigan State, you think they look vastly improved from last year so far, or, or do you think that's a product of, of who they've played? Yeah, not vastly improved, Alex. And it's interesting that I was thinking about this while Bruce was talking. It's almost been, you know, last year Michigan State beat Notre Dame, and it was all downhill from there, basically. So here we are a year later at another crossroads against the same opponent. Um, and again, will this be a launching point for the for the Spartans? We'll see. But I'm like you guys, um, you know, uh, Bowling Green and Western Michigan were the two teams Michigan State beat, and they, they took care of business, guys. I don't think the defense allowed a touchdown yet. The opposition has scored on like, two fumble returns and, and I want to say like a punt return. So again, um, so far so good. Uh, I still again I wonder about Brian Lewerke, a quarterback. I wonder how good that offensive line is, and guys, L.J. Scott really hasn't got going either. So offensively, I wonder. Again, can they be physical and run the ball? And like I said, the defense has played well. They only had 11 sacks last year. They got more pressure this year, so it looks like they're better up front. So that always gives you hope, too. And this will be a nice litmus test on your home field with two weeks to prep for, like what Bruce said, on an Irish team that had two 200-yard rushers last week. I think they ran for uh, 500 yards rushing. So, again, we'll find out a lot about the, the, that Spartan defense, too, and that will really set the table and let us know if they can rebound from that 3-9 debacle from last year. Yeah, and a couple more games of the Big Ten that I think we can safely say they're clear favorites in these, but it'll, but it'll still be very intriguing to watch. We, we've mentioned them briefly in the lead-up to this. It's Penn State at Iowa, uh, under the lights at, at Kinnick Stadium, and then, of course, Michigan at Purdue. Tom, who do you think is a better chance of, of winning, Iowa over Penn State or Purdue over Michigan? Because we see, we've seen what can happen to opponents in, in Iowa City and how that program gets up for those primetime showdowns there. We haven't seen Purdue welcome a big-time opponent, like you mentioned, in probably 10 years or, or, or longer. So which team has a better chance to pull the upset? You know, I love the, the Penn State-Iowa game for a lot of reasons. Um, Penn State finally leaves Beaver Stadium for the first time this year. They go to a hostile environment, Kinnick Stadium. It had had success there. 
And you reference, you know, Iowa knowing how to knock out big teams. Well, you guys remember 2008, they knocked off the number three-ranked Penn State team that year. I know that was almost a decade ago, but still, it's a tough environment. But still, I think Penn State's got so much firepower on offense. If they get a two-touchdown lead, you know, I, I don't like Iowa's chances to try to play catch-up football. Iowa's got to try to shorten the game with its, with its running and rushing attack. And again, we talk about the Penn State offense, fellas. But that Penn State defense, two shutouts in the first three games, has been tough. So I just don't think Iowa's going to be able to generate enough points. I think I think Purdue, strangely enough, has a better chance to beat Michigan than Iowa has to beat Penn State. Um, I think Purdue's going to struggle to score points. But I think Michigan's going to struggle to score points, too. Um, it's going to come down to us talking to Alex earlier, Bruce. I think it's going to come, this game may come down to somebody scoring on a pick six or a formal return or a punt return. Um, I expect it to be low scoring maybe going into the fourth quarter. So, again, uh, two, two fun games to sort of highlight this weekend's schedule. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see Nate Stanley, Iowa's quarterback, go against that Penn State defense because Nate Stanley's had a fast start to the season, and, and we'll see how he performs under you know the brightest lights that, that he's seen so far. Bruce, again, you'll be in West Lafayette for, for Purdue-Michigan. How does Purdue make this a game? Because you know, you got to think that Michigan's defense will make it a lot tougher on Jeff Brom's play calling, his creativity, and on the other hand, if you want any coach to scheme against a, skin, a stingy D, Brom's the guy you'd want. So how does Purdue attack this, do you think? Yeah, I think they're going to have to find a way to hit a, you know, hit a big run somewhere. I don't know how they do that because mm-hmm. Michigan's been so good against that. If he can do that, I think then they have a real chance um, you know, because their defense is playing well, and I think Wilton Spade's going to have to going to have to be sharper against this team on the road. Um, you know, to, to Jeff Brown's credit, they're playing so well on offense that I think he's been very creative at finding ways. And one thing is, you know, the ball gets the ball out of his quarterback's hand pretty fast. I and mean, he was that way at Western Kentucky, and he's been that way, you know, at Purdue so far. And you got to do that when you're facing Don Brown's defense. So we'll see. I mean, Michigan's so good on defense. And that's an uphill climb, but I'm very interested to see what Braun has up his sleeve in this one. Tom, it's in writing for you on BTN.com. You picked Purdue to win by one point in your Yeah, by one picks. point. Yeah, it's looking like a sellout, right, at Ross yeah, Stadium? Yeah, that's what the local media is saying. And Bruce, Bruce hit on the point about Purdue needing to find a way to hit a big play. Well, let's be honest. Again, it's been a fun story for three games, but this is a whole other level of defense you're going to see on Sally. Bruce talked about Don Brown. We talked about Ohio State's defensive line. Well, Michigan's, Michigan's defensive line is maybe as good as Ohio State's, just maybe not as deep. And the Purdue offensive line is still a work in progress. Purdue's rushed for 200 yards the first two weeks. The last two games, I should say. That, that's not going to happen probably on Saturday. So, again, the big play Bruce talked about, because Purdue's not going to be executing 10, 11 play scoring drives against Michigan's defense. It's going to take a big play, like a 70-yard pass or a long run, then to probably get on the scoreboard. I mean, they may have one good sustained drive. You think maybe two in the game where they could score. But again, like big plays, uh, Purdue's going to need one, at least one or two, to score on from its offense. And I, I think they may need you know an unconventional touchdown from defensive special teams too. Yeah, four Eastern on Fox, and, and Bruce will be there. For those fans, uh, maybe don't get to watch games outside the Big Ten all that often. Bruce, give us a matchup outside of the Big Ten this weekend that you're looking forward to. Uh, very curious to see what happens with uh, Mississippi State against Georgia to see how they, you know, how that team responds from success. You know, it's like you got to get right back up, and I think that's going to be a big challenge for, for Dan Mullen's team and the bounce back. Um, you know, I'm looking at... Uh, you know, Florida. Some of Florida State is one of these teams that hasn't played in a long time. You know, because of because of the hurricane down there, they host NC State. NC State has a really good defensive front, and so you know you're going to see James Blackman, the, the freshman quarterback, who's going to step into that. I'm I'm curious to see how that uh, how that plays out. Uh, another team that hasn't played in a while is Miami, and they're playing Toledo, and Toledo is really good. Jason Campbell's one of the best young coaches in college football. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they gave Miami all they can. I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled an upset there. I mean, those are the ones that I'm kind of most intrigued by. Yeah, sounds good. Um, 
We'll all be be watching, looking forward to it, looking forward to your coverage from West Lafayette on Saturday. And before we wrap up, we always do this on the podcast. We pick one big moment from the past weekend. It's the coolest moment you saw from college football. Uh, I'll start, and actually it wasn't this past weekend. It was actually just yesterday on Monday, so I'm cheating a little bit. But Ohio State brought in one of their uh, most popular fans, Jacob Jarvis, who's a, a teenager that has muscular dystrophy. They brought him in for the, the weekly press conference and kind of surprised Urban Meyer a little bit. So I thought that was cool uh, to see Urban's reaction, and, and obviously Jacob loved it. And it's always cool to see him on the field and involved with the program. I, I love stories like that. Tom, do you have any uh, any cool things you saw from college football this weekend that uh, you want to share? You know, not, nothing like we, we saw maybe the first couple of weeks, you know, going back to the USC blind center snap against Western Michigan, things that add to Elcom. I guess most of them are on the field. And, you know, Bruce talked about one from a national level, though, the statement Mississippi State made uh, 37-3 against LSU. I got the coaches Dan Mullen and, and uh, again, uh, uh, that, that's going to be a fun program to continue to watch this year to see how it develops. Yeah, how about that? And um, you're right, it does get harder as we, we go along here. I feel like all those heartwarming and heartstring moments are always cluttered, clustered toward the beginning of the season, so it gets harder to do that. <laughs> but, uh, Bruce, if you had a, a cool moment either off or on the field from from week three, let's hear it. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> we should have coordinated this because I was like, I saw people tweeting about the Jacob Jarvis thing uh, from, you know, a bunch of the Ohio State media yesterday. I was like, that is pretty awesome, you know, and, and went back on it. Um, but if I have to go with a different one, I'm going to say what Rocky Long has done. It's a more of an on-the-field thing. At San Diego State, back-to-back wins over Pac-12 opponents. Nothing fluky about it. Rashad Penny is a guy who, if they were playing maybe a little earlier in the day, would probably get some more Heisman attention right now. By far leads the nation at rushing. Uh, was a great kick returner before this. Still doing that. So um, you know, Rocky Long is—he's you know—he's a guy in his late sixties. He's always been known as a cutting edge, you know, ultra aggressive defensive coordinator. But his team has been piling up the wins in the last few years, and I think they deserve a little more love. All right, guys. Hey, one thing, one, hey, one, hey, well, one thing each week we can always look forward to, right? And it's checking out PJ Flex shoes, right? <laughs> those are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get a pair of those. Goldie Gopher on the on them, right? They were wearing the all Goldie yeah. uniforms. Yeah, it was sweet. You always, you always have something up at sleeves. You always keep smart things interesting and fun. PJ Fleck has the best style in the Big Ten, the best swag by far, I think. No doubt. <laughs> Tom, you don't have a pair of those uh those Goldie <laughs> shoes in your closet. I know, but now now Bruce is the kind of guy. I bet Bruce you got a closet full of them. Bruce, what kicks are you, you know, wearing? What, to, I, I, what are you wearing to Wasla- <laughs> West Lafayette this weekend? You know, I only wear like I just have like a pair of really comfortable shoes. Last week, I had to literally run with Urban Meyer coming off the second quarter into the locker room, and so the shoes that they would have me wear at Fox, I leave those at home, and I just wear like something that I know that if I have to run, because sometimes you got to run as a sideline reporter. Because <laughs> um, I don't think I would have been able to keep up if I'm like they, somebody gives me wing tips or something. Are you one of those guys that when you're on TV, you have the uh, the flip flops underneath the underneath the set? Uh, no, no, but, um, you know, we, uh, the, I used to like Texas A&M game was a Sunday night game. I was in there for Fox and studio and that definitely would have been a day where I was like, okay, can I wear the shorts, uh, you know, with this, with the suit and tie, with a jacket and tie. Cause that definitely would be more of my speed than that. But with sideline, you're, I don't know, you just feel like you're the only guy you can, like of all the people who are sweating on the on the, during the game, you're sitting there in the dark suit in warm ups, and it's like you're out there in the sun, especially this time of year. It's 85 degrees, and it's like you're like drenched in sweat. And like, God, I hope people don't see this on camera. Yeah, I don't envy that because I'm I'm a sweater. I you know like we were on that BTN bus tour, and um, we were outside for 14 straight days and in August. And I don't envy you and the rest of the sideline reporters who have to be in front of millions of people. You know, trying to trying to hold together in those temperatures. So, you're doing God's work, so you, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, so Bruce, you're gonna have Jim Harbaugh and Jeff Brom. Uh, whoever's uh, somebody's losing, somebody's gonna lose in halftime. Maybe maybe it'll be tied. But again, two intense coaches. So uh, it's gonna be fun talking to Harbaugh, especially. I'm sure. Yeah, like that, that's gonna be a different one for me. I'm sure. You know, it's like we've had you know Bob Stoops in the past, and obviously Urban. You know, can can uh, can be pretty intense as well. So, 
Um, I don't know. My first game, the first game I ever did sideline was a game with Bill Snyder, and so you know he's not always the most media friendly when it comes to that. And I think his Ooh. team had committed a bunch of penalties, and I said uh, we're we're doing the walk and talk, and I said uh, I said on a scale of one to ten, how frustrated uh, how frustrated are you by your uh, by the penalties your team's committed? And he said. I'm at, I thought I thought he said on a scale of one to ten, I'm like a fifty-five or something. I was like, "Wow, that's a great quote." I'm just kind of like almost left me in my tracks there. <laughs> Bill Snyder <laughs> this past it. weekend. Bill Snyder this past weekend. I saw him. He had like a, a recorder, like you'd use to you know record a press conference. He has a recorder on the sideline, and he it looked like he was taking personal notes, recording personal notes mm-hmm. for for later. And I think that's the first time I've seen a college football coach do that. So that was pretty yeah. amusing. Note to self, don't run on third and five. <laughs> He's <laughs> old school. Defense. That's a smart idea. <laughs> He's old school. All right, guys. Um, that's all I got for you, Bruce. You've been very gen- generous with your time. Tom, thanks as always. And uh, looking forward to another exciting weekend to college football. Bruce, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks again to Bruce for joining us. And thanks as always to everyone for listening. And also, shout out to the fans who submitted questions. Um, We'll try and continue to do that, like I mentioned, going forward. And hear from you guys out in in Big Ten country and get the experts' thoughts and responses to your questions. Really, it's hard to believe the season's almost a quarter of the way over. Um, Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. It's been been a lot of fun so far, and it feels like I blinked and already 25% through the season. So, uh, I don't hate it. Keep the games coming, keep the action going, and uh, we'll keep rolling. Thanks, as always, to Wes White for producing the show. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and we will talk to you next time on the Take 10 Podcast.